I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. The internet has opened up a world of information to rare disease patients, but it can often be hard to access, understand, or evaluate. RareMark is working to keep rare disease patients up to date with the latest information about their conditions through its online community built around disease channels. We spoke to RareMark founder Julie Walters about the website, how it curates information, and how it's ultimately seeking to empower rare disease patients to make better decisions about their care. Julie, thanks for joining us. You're very welcome. We're going to talk about RareMark, how it seeks to address challenges rare disease patients face, and what it's trying to do to connect rare disease patients with information, experts, and each other. Perhaps you can begin with a little history. How did you become involved in, in rare diseases? Yeah, good question. Well, it started uh, about 20 years ago when my uh, goddaughter, Sophie, uh, suffered uh, from, unfortunately, a rare disease called uh, acute myeloid leukemia, AML. And uh, I'm Australian, as you can probably hear from my accent. And Sophie was um, in Australia with her mom. She and I uh, went to school together. And... uh, they were very reliant, as everybody is, when you have a, a very rare condition, on the doctors uh, who were treating Sophie. And she was very lucky. She was with the right doctor in Sydney. He uh, recommended a bone marrow transplant. And that worked very well for Sophie. She uh, recovered. Um, she has just had her 22nd birthday. She has just completed a degree at the London School of Economics. Uh, with a first-class result, and she is now in India uh, training to be one of the future leaders uh, with an amazing entrepreneur. So she was very lucky. Uh, but as we know, for, for many people uh, with a rare condition, uh, they are not so lucky. They often struggle to find uh, the right uh, medical guidance, and they can find themselves lost in a system, whether it's between the general practitioner who's never seen anybody like them or a specialist who may not be using the right test, uh, you know, they can feel very lost. And we know that most people uh, spend uh, um, eight years um, to to get a a good diagnosis, potentially. Some are lucky. So, you know, that was the beginning. And then since um, I was a journalist at that time, so uh, I was um, uh, telling stories uh, in the media, uh, and then I did a degree in molecular genetics when I came to live in London uh, uh, because I wanted to um, cure cancer. I got to the lab and thought, my goodness, this is not for me. Uh, and so then I kind of put the two, all of the pieces together, as a long story, uh, to try. And, uh, I, and along the meantime, I you know, also worked with industry, uh, helping the pharmaceutical industry to communicate with the outside world, and I've become a trustee of a rare disease patient group. So I kind of brought all that experience together to kind of, I kept waiting for somebody else to come up with the answer, to kind of bring information and families and industry and new answers together, and then realized that it was going to be me 
that needed to do it. So I finally decided two years ago to do something about it. What What was the problem you were trying to address in creating Rarework? Well, the challenge was that a family that isolated and alone. So I am a trustee of a wonderful rare disease patient group in, in London, uh, in the United Kingdom, called Find a Cure. And what we do is empower patient groups to find information and connections. And through that experience, which reinforced my personal experience with my um, with my goddaughter Sophie, was that most families are isolated and alone. They can't access the specialist information that exists in the world. So, for example, they don't know what's the latest scientific and medical information. They don't know who are the world's leading clinicians. And that information exists. It's just not very accessible. And so that was the problem we were trying to fix, is to help families find a new answer. So I always use the metric if a mother of a child with a rare disease could come on our site and within 10 minutes find a credible new answer, new thing to try, even if it was just living well with today, then that was the problem we were trying to solve. Well, what will rare disease patients find on Rarmark? So on the side at the moment, it's very early days. So we are, we launched in September 2016. And for anybody who's built a tech company, uh, you know, we're direct to patients and carers and it's information, but it's fueled and built on software engineering. So anybody who's built a software company will know how difficult that is. So it's very early days for us. If you go on to raremark.com, you'll see just seven therapeutic areas. And that's because we're testing lots of things find out what's really helpful for families. So at the moment, they'll find a lot of information uh, about the latest scientific and medical information in those seven to eight therapeutic areas. Uh, they'll also find other community stories, and they'll be able to find potential drugs in development. Not everything, uh, but where we have permission of a drug company to talk about a specific clinical trial, they'll find out about that trial because it's highly regulated. Uh, in future, what they'll find uh, in the next few months is we're beginning to collect patient experience of what it's like to have a, uh, either a child with a rare condition or experience a rare condition yourself, so that we'll be gathering specific information to share with each other. So what is it like to have myasthenia gravis, for example? What is it like to potentially have your thymus taken out? Often the medical profession recommends you have your thymus taken out. So apart from the clinical decision to do that, what else should somebody like me know if my clinician is recommending I have my thymus taken out? What is What are the things that I should think about from a patient perspective? So aggregating and sharing that patient experience is what's coming in the next few months. And we're very excited about that. Oh, how is information curated? What's included there? And, and where do you draw the information from? Yeah, good question. So it's really important that it's not any old information. And it's not just any old information we found on the internet because that's not responsible and it's not, um, it's not appropriate. There's a lot of information on the internet that I'm sure families recognize is not curated and it's also potentially inaccurate. So number one is we only take our scientific and medical information from PubMed. Uh, so PubMed is the world's biggest database of scientific and medical knowledge. So it has to be peer-reviewed. So it has to appear in a proper scientific journal like Science or Nature or New England Journal of Medicine. 
It has to have been reviewed by a panel of peers as to be credible and reliable. And then what we do is we take that information and then our team writes it in a way that families can actually understand. And we've just applied to for the honor code, which is one of the highest uh, ratings of quality information in the public domain. We also share community stories. So here's my story uh, and what it's like to live with the conditions day to day. We have house rules that we ask people to abide by. So we employ uh, great uh, content and community managers. They're real people. We employ them to make sure that the information is correct, up-to-date, and appropriate. And we publish within each therapeutic area at least twice a week. There's certainly an appetite for this kind of information among rare disease patients, but I think one of the frustrations they run into is that many of the new articles that are coming out in scientific journals sit behind a paywall. Do, do you serve right. as any kind of a bridge in that regard? We do, yes. So we would write uh, what we call a lay summary of the article. Uh, uh, so it might be 200 words on what the article means. For many people, that's enough. Uh, if they want more information, at the moment, they will still have to pay the publisher to get the whole journal. But at least they can have some idea of what it's about before they decide to pay. For most people, the lay summary is enough. In future, we will want to do a deal with the publishers so that we pay, so that those who, as we grow, so that families don't have to take the heavy load. Right now, as you mentioned, there are seven disease communities that you've created. How, how do you prioritize what diseases you're including in, and what's the plan for expansion? Uh, so at the moment, we've just launched our eighth uh, therapeutic area in Friedrich's Ataxia. Uh, by the end of the year, we expect to be in 50 communities, five zero, and And we launch where there is something to say. So for many therapeutic areas, for many rare conditions, there's not a lot happening uh, in terms of scientific and medical research, unfortunately. We hope that will change. But at the moment, we launch in areas where there is an advance. There is something to talk about. There are therapies, new therapies under uh, development so that families can have the opportunity to take part. So that's where we're going first. There are 7,000 rare diseases. The pharmaceutical industry is active in developing new treatments in about 400 of those 7,000. So we'll go to those first. And then we hope to be able to aggregate and anonymize patient experience in all therapeutic areas, but we first must launch in those areas where there is more to say. Do these patients have a, an opportunity to interact or connect with each other through the site? Uh, we've been very thoughtful about that, and at the moment, uh, they don't. In the next month, they will. What we don't want to do is replicate what they already have. So most patient groups have a private Facebook group, where they get day-to-day -day emotional support, and that's really important, and we don't want to compete with that. What's missing is the aggregating the patient experience around specific medical questions or patient experience questions, and that's where there'll be the opportunity to input their experience uh, and, uh, and share that with each other. So we'll be asking for their experience, and we'll be feeding that back to the community in a responsible way so they can share the results with their doctor.
there is a lot of information that is broadly applicable to people with rare diseases, regardless of their specific conditions. You've got articles I know on, on such things as informed consent or how to be your own advocate with your doctor. What's the approach here? Well, you're right. There are some areas that are applicable across uh, all therapeutic areas and all rare diseases. So we, uh, where we see a need from the community, so what is informed consent, as you probably know, the industry, pharmaceutical industry, uses a lot of jargon that most people don't understand. So where we see a need across the therapy areas, so what is informed consent, what is a clinical trial, can I uh, join and then leave, can I tell my friends that I'm taking part in drug development, where, where it is applicable across uh, rare diseases, we will share it. But for most of it, I would say 80% of our content is specific to the therapeutic area. And do you partner with rare disease groups or drug makers to develop or provide information? Uh, we are independent. So we publish what we think is right for the community, uh, what is relevant for families. So uh, we ask the pharmaceutical industry to stay out of that uh, because they often uh, have a view about a therapeutic area, it, it, they're very entitled to their view, uh, but it may not be uh, uh, it may not be holistic. So we publish what we feel is like a, like an independent newspaper would. We make editorial judgments as to what we feel is most relevant to families. Where where the industry can interact is if they want to put an advertisement for a clinical trial and it's clearly labeled as an advertisement within the community, that, that's where they can uh, interact with the Raremark uh, community. Where they, and we will also, with our patients and community permission, be aggregating and anonymizing patient experience and selling that to the pharmaceutical industry so that they can make drugs and uh, new treatments that families actually want. Well, draw that out for me. What's the business model here? How do, how do you generate revenue to support the editorial content? Yeah, so so it is aggregating and anonymizing patient experience. So with our community's permission, we've just done a small pilot study asking our members, uh, would they like to share their experience with industry and with others? And 96%, it was a small sample of our community, but 96% said they would like to share their experience. Uh, and so uh, we sell that on a subscription basis so that we can publish and expand to more uh, therapeutic areas. And also um, the drug companies pay to advertise on our site. When you say you, you share their experience, are you talking about natural histories or something more? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Natural histories. And so often the things that the pharmaceutical industry wants to know about is route to diagnosis because they're aware, uh, as well as the families are, that many families are lost in the system. So where are they lost in the system? Uh, is it that they're not getting properly diagnosed with the, the GP? Are, are many rare diseases are systemic, so they're affecting many organs? So are they... Which kind of specialists are they seeing? And if they are seeing a specialist, what kinds of specialists and what kinds of tests are the specialists using? So for industry, they're interested in finding out how can they reach these people when they do have a new option? How do they let families know that there is an, a new option? So for industry, that's a huge uh, challenge. And it's 
very, very difficult to find out that information. You may have one or two case studies published in in PubMed that I referred to earlier, but uh, there's no real-world evidence of what it's like to live with a condition day-to-day that is accessible for industry, and that's what we're addressing, and that's where we bring value for them. One of the things Raremark offers to do is connect patients to clinical trials. How does that work, and is that limited to the trials of drug makers who are sponsoring you, or is that done more yeah. broadly? So the uh, the drug companies can put an advertisement for their trial on the Raremark site, and then we clearly label that this is an advertisement for a particular trial. We have no opinion as to whether a family... Uh, join the clinical trial or not, we do care that they have the choice. And right now they don't have the choice because they cannot find out about clinical trials that are in development. It's on clinicaltrials.gov, but even if you knew that it existed, it's not written in a way that normal people can understand. It's very forbidding. And so most people are excluded from the drug development process, not by design uh, nor by neglect. It's just the way the industry works. Uh, at the moment, unfortunately. So when we first started Raremark, we took all the trials on clinicaltrials.gov and put a new friendly user interface on it so that it was actually written in a way that families could understand so they could find any clinical trial. The feedback we got from families was, that's not really useful for me because even if they knew that the trials were available, it's actually getting to speak to and connected with the trial team, that is key. And for many families, when they've tried to do it on their own, they've been ignored, they don't get their phone calls returned. So what Raremark does, where we have permission, and we can only do it with the pharmaceutical company's permission, uh, from the advertisement, we can then help connect them with the trial site team and make the introduction in an appropriate way and do the heavy lifting for them so that they're not, again, lost in the system. I think one of the implicit themes here is that you're giving patients tools and information to empower them to gain better control over their own health and and choices. What do you think this says about the changing role of patients in their own care? It's hugely significant. The changing role in the next 10 years, it will be transformational. So I'm based in London uh, and London is one of the world's centers for health technology. Uh, We have companies like Google, Amazon, uh, IBM, who are real pioneers in the intersection between software engineering and information. And that is going to be absolutely transformative in the next 10 years. At the moment, unfortunately, patient experience doesn't count because it can't be collected and shared in a way that is real world and and right now. That is about change. And that is what is hugely exciting about the next five to 10 years. Julie Walters, founder of Raremark, which can be found at raremark.com. Julie, thanks so much for your time today. You're very welcome. Thank you for your interest. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. 
The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com. <laughs>